Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. We are in a series where we're looking at following Christ, which is really what we're all about as a church. Uh, we're, we're trying to help people figure out what, what that means exactly. Uh, in this series, we've been looking at what Jesus said about it, what he said about following him in, in his own words. So if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, it's the red letters. We've been looking through the, uh, Mark, which is an account of his life, uh, and he is telling us what Jesus said about following and that's what he asked us to do. Jesus asked us to follow him. If you decide to uh, follow him, then it's important to know what he says. Now, that's encouraging to me. I'm encouraged that I just need to be a follower. I don't have to be perfect. I can't be perfect. I have imperfections, flaws, struggles. I have things I'm going through. I can't be perfect, but I can follow And what you find out when you listen to Jesus is, it doesn't matter where you're starting from. It doesn't matter where you start when you start following. It it doesn't matter how you compare to other followers or other people. That, That really doesn't matter. What matters is, wherever you're starting from, when you decide to follow, you take the next step. Then you take the next step. And that's how you follow. You just keep taking steps. As he speaks to you, as he shows you what he wants, as you learn from Scripture, from the Bible, what what he wants, then you take the step that he's showing you to take. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's what followers of Christ do. That's encouraging to me. I, I can do that with his help. I need a lot of help. I can do that. I can't be perfect. I can't be some kind of caricature of what it means to be a Christian, but I can be a follower. One of the main reasons we exist as a church is to help you figure out what it means to follow Christ. If you've already decided to follow Christ, this is important because we tend to veer off course. (laughs) So we have to be reminded a lot of what it means and, and how to do that. If you're investigating what it means to follow Christ, uh, it's important because you, you need to know what to expect, what to really expect. Because if you don't have the real picture, the real scoop on what it means to follow Christ, it's confusing and it's frustrating and it, it can be incredibly miserable. You can end up, if you decide to follow Christ and you don't understand what that means, you can end up extremely miserable person. Because you've, you've misunderstood some things, you didn't have the, the real picture. So I want you to get the straight scoop. That's my job. That's my role. That's what I'm supposed to be all about. Jesus was always very straightforward. So that's why we're digging into what he said about it. Because he's going to tell us. He's the one we're following and he's going to let us know. Have you ever given an all-out effort to something? You're trying to arrive in some way. That's what you're doing. Trying to arrive at a goal, a destination. And you've given an all-out effort, and then you get there, and it just doesn't feel like you thought it would. It's, it's, just, it's just not as fulfilling as you were anticipating. Um, actually, it leaves you empty sometimes. 
when you arrive at your goal because you're thinking, now what? For me, I was thinking uh, about this, and it's like, I love pistachios. Sometimes when I'm driving, if I'm driving, I've got to try to stay awake. I have pistachios because you have to work to get to the nut, you know, if you have the shell. And then there's some of those pistachios that have a, they don't have the opening, so you got to kind of crack them. And then I tell you, one of the most disappointing things is you're working hard to open up this difficult pistachio. You get inside, and it's a shriveled up nut. It's like it tastes like cardboard. I go ahead and eat it anyway because I've, I've really worked hard for that thing. And, and I really want, I want that. I work, and then it just, it's not, it doesn't taste right. Well, when I think about goals that leave you empty, I have one memory in my mind that, that comes to my attention first, and that is, has to do with baseball. I went to Baylor to play baseball, and I was living my dream. This has been a dream of mine, go to college, Division I school, play baseball, it was a dream, and I'm working hard. In fact, I'm working harder than I thought I would have to <laughs> once I got to Baylor. I'm spending all kinds of time on the field. I'm playing great baseball. I'm enjoying it, sort of, because what was happening inside is everything seemed like it was going great on the outside, but I was empty. There was this emptiness. God, God didn't make me. The, the reason is, God didn't make me to be filled up by baseball. And so, if that's what I'm focusing on, if that's what I'm living for, I, I, I'm going to come up empty. It left a very pasty taste in my mouth, sort of like eating a handful of flour. You know, it didn't taste good. Ba- nothing wrong with baseball, nothing wrong with pursuing it, but... That's not what God made us to be filled up with. Now, I've had this experience in varying degrees with other pursuits, like a high school diploma. Oh, you know, when I, when I get out of high school, wow, that's going to be great. Or when I get finished with college, or when I wrap up grad school, that is an accomplishment right there. You get there, and now What? <laughs> that's, that's now what? What am I going to do now? I've reached this goal. And it's not what I thought it would be. One time I thought, I can't wait to get into my career. I just, this is going to be, a, that's gonna, that'll be great. Because then I can focus on what really I want to do. I get into this job and I can do it. That's going to that's gonna be fantastic. I get there, and, and you know, my job you could easily get the idea that this is going to be, you're just going to float along and things are going to come together and life is going to be good. You get there and it turns out that there's a lot of frustration in work. You have to work through conflict. You have to deal with, with the struggles of reaching out toward goals. And as important as it is to work, God wants us to work. He wants us to to work so we can eat. He wants us to make a contribution to the overall effort of what's going on in the world. God wants that. But he didn't intend for my work to fill me up. It's not what he intended. He didn't intend for it to be the substance of my life. Marriage can be the same way. Now, marriage is honorable. It's God's idea. It's very important to him. He wants it to be a blessing. 
But it's a challenge to have a good marriage. It, 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 it requires work. There are power struggles, there's frustrations, there's conflict, there's things you have. It's amazing how two people can be in a marriage, and if they're not handling things rightly, feel empty, very hollow. God actually created marriage to enjoy, but again, it's not marriage that fills us up. Same with parenting, same thing, oh boy. You know, I can't wait until I have kids, you know, this, this is one thought I've had. We want kids, we want kids to make us happy. We, we want kids who will give us respect and make us feel good about ourselves and actually make us look good as they, you know, do the things they do. Then they're born and they cry. And you have to feed them. You have to set aside your agenda sometimes to meet their needs. And... I love my kids, and I know if you're a parent, you love your kids, but God didn't make us to get filled up by them. It's not, not why he, he put this plan together of families, because sometimes, you know, you just, you just don't get the respect you're looking for. Sometimes kids don't make you look so good, and again, we end up empty in those moments. The answer to the now what? When you arrive at these things and you sense this emptiness, the answer is this. Keep following. Figure out what God wants you to do in that moment and take the next step. Because God himself promises to be the one who fills us up as we follow Christ. God wants to fill us. He's the only one that can. All these other scenarios, no, not so much. They're good things, good pursuits. We go hard after the goals God lays before us. But if you're a follower of Christ, you know what you can expect from those things. When Jesus tells us what it means to follow him, very straight words, very straightforward. He is communicating out of a deep love for us. He's trying to tell us because he loves us. He doesn't want us to come up empty. He wants us to understand how it actually works. He doesn't want us to pursue life and our goals and end up in a place where it just tastes like a handful of flour. That's, that's not what he wants. So he gives it to us straight. He doesn't hold back. He wants us to be filled and happy, so he tells us the way it works. He wants us to live for the truly important things. The, the kingdom of God, that's what we're looking at today. The things that God values is a key to being filled up by him. In all the arenas of life, God, God wants us to learn his values, the kingdom values, his kingdom values, and live for him as we keep choosing them, as we embrace them. And as we do that, we find the life that he intended for us to live. So let's look at a scene from his life where Jesus clarifies what's important to God. I'm going to give you a little backstory because we're going to dive into to Mark 8, 31 through 38. But here's the backstory. This, this passage follows a crescendo moment in the relationship of the disciples with Jesus the first followers that he called to follow him. 
He's, he's been ministering to people. He's been teaching and healing and doing amazing things to the amazement of all the people. And just prior to this passage that we're looking at today, Jesus boldly corrects some hypocritical religious leaders, just flat out corrects them. And then he heals a blind man in a really cool way. Now, Healing is pretty cool in and of itself, <laughs> but, but this is a pretty cool way he does it. He, does, he kind of does it with flair at this moment. So he's following this, and then he gets into a discussion with his disciples, and he says, who, who do people say that I am? And the answers revolve around basically Jesus is a prophet. This people are saying that you're one of the prophets who's come back, or you're one of the modern-day prophets who are sharing a message from God with the people. And then Jesus says something like this. He says, that's, that's fine and good. I'm sure that's what they're saying. But who do you say that I am? Who do you think I am? You've been with me for a while now. What's your conclusion about my identity? And that happens to be the most important question that any of us will ever answer. Peter, typically, speaks for the rest of the disciples, and he says, you are the Christ. Crescendo moment right there. This is like they finally realized, and it's been said, it's been spoken out loud, that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. He is God himself in the flesh on this earth. That's where we're going to pick up the story. That's where we're going to go to the scene now. It says in Mark 8, 31 through 33, and he began to teach them. This is right after they conclude who he is, that he's God himself. He began to teach the 12 disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. In other words, no mixing word, no, no stories, no parables, no nothing, man. He just said, this is what's going to happen. He wanted them to know. He didn't want them to be surprised. He wanted them to know what to expect. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I feel for Peter right here. He got rebuked. Uh, Jesus rebuked him. It was important that he did. He needed to be rebuked. Have you ever been around somebody that you love and respect, and you say something and you think it's the right thing to say or the right thing to do, and it hits a nerve in them, and they rebuke you. They respond in a way that just completely corrects your thinking and what you just said. Have you ever been there? I've, I've been there a few times. <laughs> I've done that. And in that moment, you realize, I was way off base. What did I miss? I mean, your mind starts reeling. What in the world have I missed? I, I, thought, I, was, I thought I had it figured out. And I've misunderstood something basic here. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. I feel for Peter. He, he reacted like most of us would when someone we love tells us they're going to die. 
I remember going with my mom to set up their living will, my mom and dad to set up their living will before they, now this was a long time ago before, my dad always thought he was about to die, but um, this was way before it was probable that they were going to pass away. And I remember they were speaking about death very, in a very matter-of-fact way. But I'm emotional. I'm, I'm younger. I hadn't really thought a whole lot about them dying. And I'm, they're just, yeah, okay, if we do, do this, you know, do that. And I'm like, I'm over here. And that's what's going on with Peter. Jesus knows what's coming. And Peter, is, he gets emotional and then he just lets his emotions take over and he boosts Jesus, Jesus straightens them out. And then this is all supercharged by Satan. Because what you see is Jesus actually rebuked Satan, not Peter so much. He rebuked the enemy because the enemy was using Peter as his voice, it was supercharged by him. I, I don't blame him for doing what he did. Now, here, here's, here's the problem. Here's the mistake that Peter made and the thing that Satan was trying to take advantage of. Peter had a human view. He was taking a human viewpoint on how Jesus was going to fulfill his purpose and bring in the kingdom. He actually had, at that moment, a human view of what the kingdom was. Jesus, come in, take over, Throw off Rome and let me rule with you right now. That's what I want. That's a human viewpoint. That's all the disciples shared it. You get that in the dialogue that he had with them. But here's the problem. His human viewpoint, which was supercharged by Satan, whom Jesus rebuked, was something that was aimed at subverting the plan of God for bringing our salvation to us. So he got rebuked. Peter was thinking an earthly strategy, which only brings a temporary victory. Jesus knew better. He, he had the big picture. So Peter was rebuked because Jesus says he had set his mind on the things of man, not the things of God. So he had set his mind on the way men, people work, not on the way God works. He'd set his heart on the values that we have, bring in the kingdom right now, get all I can right now, enjoy it, rule, reign, be the number one, whatever it is. He had set his heart on those values, not the values of God. And this is something important to understand about following Christ. His way seems upside down to ours. And that, so you, you end up hitting a nerve in the, in the way you respond sometimes. The values of God's kingdom clash with our native common values that are viewed as normal in our world over and over again. So part of what it means to follow him is to learn these values. Values are a ranking of what's important to us in a given situation. What's important to God in a given situation is, and what's typically important to people in that same situation are opposites. You discover what's important to God as you read the Bible. And I, I, I want to encourage you to read it. That's why it's important to read it. That's why we talk about it every week. 
because you find out what's important to God. You find out how to handle situations that you're dealing with in a way that brings glory to Him and, and in, in line with the way He's made things to work. If you're looking for a place to start reading the Bible, start in Mark. Great, great place. You'll learn about what Jesus said. It means to follow Him. You get a little more detail than I do. Now, Mark was a friend of Peter. Peter, the, the, the guy that, you know... <laughs> <clears throat> the guy that made the confession crescendo moment got rebuked for what he said after that. Mark was a friend of Peter, and he basically recorded the stories and the teaching that Peter passed on to him in eyewitness. So it's very reliable eyewitness account of someone who saw the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Very valuable. In the Bible, you'll read about the things that are important to Jesus and the highest values in the kingdom. And I'd like to give you some examples, just so you get a taste of the difference between kingdom values and common values, normal people values that we normally have. In the kingdom, highest value, love God for who he is. He made me, and it's right for me to love and obey him. Now, he lets us choose whether or not we're going to love and obey him, but it's, it's right because we're made by him, so it's right. Common value, love God for what he does for me sort of makes sense to us. I follow Christ so that he will help me with my goals and give me what I want. When he doesn't do something I've asked him to do, that's what, you know, it makes sense to pray for things that we want or that we need. When he doesn't do something I've asked him to do, I get frustrated and I give up on God. That, that's what happens if you have the common value. Jesus showed us this isn't what prayer is all about to get what we want. It's about more than that, but this isn't on prayer, so I don't have time there. So anyway, kingdom, love God for who he is. Common, love God for what he does for me. In the kingdom, sacrifice is a very high value. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. The word love means that I must be willing to sacrifice for another person regardless of how I feel. If I love my neighbor, if I love my family, if I love the people around me, I'm willing to sacrifice myself for their best interest, regardless of how I feel. <clears throat> That's it. In the common value system, expedience is valued. I do the bare minimum in my friendships, family relationships to make them work. I, I, I do what I have to in order to save face, make the relationship work, or be left alone to do what I want. Whatever the goal is, that makes sense. That makes sense to us. In our native selves. High value in the kingdom for faith. And we're actually going to talk about this one the last week of this series in a couple weeks. But faith, in a given circumstance, we rely on God to give us what we need to accomplish the right goals. In common way of things, common value, sight. The normal thing to do is to decide what we want in a circumstance and develop a strategy that depends on us to get what we want. We want a guaranteed return on investment, so we're going to make... We're going to try to make it happen. In the kingdom side of things, giving is a high value. Common side of things, receiving is a high value. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. And the amount of blessing that you receive is based on how much you give. It's the way it works. Um, on the common value side... 
amassing a fortune <laughs> and the possession of all the luxuries that go with it are high value. So we, we only give what we must to feel okay about ourselves and to get rid of the guilt we might feel like. Do, do, do you hate being at the check stand? They say, would you like to donate you know, a dollar to? Sort of do it because you feel guilty. You know, you just, there's that, but that's kind of, we, we're sort of, so the giving part of us, what makes sense commonly is that we just sort of give to feel okay about all the stuff we have. Jesus says generosity is the key to living a life that you were meant to live. And if you want to be filled up, just give yourself away. That's what he says. We're going to look at that in a little bit. Very different. On the, on the kingdom side of things, my stewardship is a high value. On the common side of things, being number one is valued. If you read the Bible and you look at what it says, you discover that God sees our roles and responsibilities as stewardship. As a stewardship, things that have been entrusted to us by him. And everybody is important. Every, everybody who has a role to play in, this, in the context of a given stewardship is important, and we can all please God by being faithful with the stewardship we have. In the common way of thinking, second place is the first loser. <laughs> and if you're not number one, if you're not the top dog, if you're not receiving all the credit and glory, you're just sort of a, an insignificant person. That's not the way God sees things. So that's not the way he thinks. If you aren't the top dog, you get a big raspberry. That's common. You know, your effort, forget it. That, that's sort of innately a part of us. When we decide to follow Christ, what he's going to be doing is he's going to be rearranging these values inside of us and putting, helping us. He wants us to choose, and it's up to us to choose, but he's going to be arranging our lives so that we have this opportunity to put the kingdom values at the top and live for the things that really matter to him. He, he helps us unlearn the common way and begin to learn the kingdom way to embrace the values of the kingdom. And Jesus goes on in this passage we're looking at, and he tells us how to live for what's important. Now, this is the straight scoop. He tells us how to do it. First of all, I must keep saying no to me. First, first thing. Mark eight thirty four, And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. To deny yourself doesn't mean that you become someone you're not, that you change your personality, you, you definitely change when you decide to follow Christ, and he's going to be making changes in you, but he did the hard wiring in the first place. He made you who you are, and he wants you to be a better you as you follow him. And he, he made you for his purpose. He wired things in so that you could accomplish it. He, he doesn't want you to change your personality or the hard wiring in you. You really can't, and you'd be frustrated if you try to live outside of that. But what it means to deny yourself is you refuse to orient your life around self-interest any longer. And you focus on doing God's will and living the kingdom way, according to the kingdom values. 
That, that's what it means. We, we don't really have a concept of what it means to carry a cross or to take up a cross. You know, we, we wear them on necklaces that we're carrying a cross, you know. <laughs> we're taking it up. When Jesus said this, what immediately came to mind in the minds of the hearers the, the, were scenes of condemned criminals who were forced to demonstrate their submission to Rome by carrying a part of the cross that they would be executed on through the streets. A very effective deterrent to rebellion against Rome. So they had a scene. This is what it means. And what it means for us today to take up our cross is we take up our cross by demonstrating to those around us a submission and obedience to God against whom we had previously rebelled. Because to follow Christ, you have to turn around from going your own way. That's what it means to repent. You turn around from going your own way, and you begin to follow him one step after the other. And to take up our cross means we demonstrate to those who are watching, to a watching world, our submission and obedience to God against whom we had previously rebelled. I say no to myself and yes to God. That's the way I continue following Christ. I say it once in a major way. I completely turn my life around, and then I keep saying yes to God as my values clash with his. Next thing, if, if I'm going to follow, if I'm going to live for what's important, I have to quit trying to save myself. I don't try to save myself. Mark 8, 35, for whoever would Save his life, will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will, will save it. When we try to save our life, our money, our energy, our time, we hoard them, we keep them to ourselves. Instead of giving them away for God, we lose life. We don't live the way it was intended to live. One guy said, from the human point of view, we are losing ourselves, but from the divine perspective, we're finding ourselves when we give our lives away. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. When we hoard our life and don't give it away, we don't experience life to the full the way Jesus promised. For, for us, life is either a meaningless spending spree or a purposeful investment. Jesus wants us to make a purposeful investment. You know, maybe, maybe you have a shopping trip planned. You've really been looking forward to this, some time for yourself to go, you know, look at the mall. Someone calls and they need help right now. Are you going to save that trip or are you going to lose it? Right when the big, you've been looking forward to watching this game all week, right when kickoff is about to happen, somebody calls and they have a need. Are you going to, are you going to save that or are you going to give yourself away? That, that's where you begin to make the trades. And Jesus says we need to make sure that we make the right trade. In verse 36, for what does it profit a man? To gain the whole world and forfeit his life. For what can a man give in return for his life? God gives us life. He lets us decide what to do with it. If we live for common values, it gets hollow. If we live for kingdom values, it's all it was meant to be. We forfeit when we live for the wrong things. We forfeit life itself. If we live for kingdom values, we find what it was made to be. Jesus says we're making a trade. We trade our life for something. 
We need to make the right trade. Finally, to live for what's important, we need to boldly identify with Christ. Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Jesus' first followers faced severe persecution, ridicule, many times execution. So when they decided to follow, they knew they were going to pay a price. His followers today, we still aren't that popular, are we? We're really not. I mean, we don't tend to be the ones who are the rich and famous on the cover of magazines. We don't generally headline the news, and when we do, it's rarely good. (laughs) It's never good when we are. Uh, We're seen as sort of weird. There's some kind of defect that we've decided to follow Christ. There's something going on, and the more serious you are, the more suspect you are about following Christ. You're considered crazy if you're a serious follower of Christ. This is actually what you see in the media all the time. As followers, what Jesus is saying, in light of all that, even, even in the midst of all that, you boldly identify with him. Even if you're going to be misunderstood. Even if people are going to think you have a defect. Even if they're going to begin to really wonder about you, you identify with Jesus Christ. As followers, that's what we're called to do, not to be ashamed of Jesus and other followers of him. And now sometimes other followers, they make it tough on us because they wrongly judge and condemn and they do things that give the wrong picture of who he is. But we still identify with him. Because we follow him. We may not, and we identify with his followers. We, we may need to straighten out some thinking. We may need to give a better picture of what it means to follow him. It gets tricky when some of his followers wrongly communicate judgment or hypocrisy, but we still identify with him. One of the toughest things for me to do is to identify when I know I'm going to be under, misunderstood. That's what a follower does. When I would be put into a stereotype, I don't like that, but I do it anyway. Even then, I must identify and do my best to give the clear picture of what it means to follow Christ. Identifying with him is what baptism is all about. We're going to have a baptism in a few weeks, and that's what it's all about. Simply, I'm identifying with Christ. I'm a follower of his, and I'm identifying with this group of people. We're followers together. And we're trying to take one step after the other. We aren't perfect. We're just trying to take one step after the other to do what he's asked us to do. The reason we identify with him is because Jesus has given his all so that we don't have to come up empty. He's given everything he had. He gave his life so that we can be filled, so that we don't have to come up empty. I'm a I'm a glass half empty kind of guy. If you hang around me, you know this. I'm trying to get over it, trying to get past that. But by nature, okay, natively, I'm a half glass empty kind of guy. In the story of Winnie the Pooh, I'm the Eeyore dude. I looked up Eeyore on Wikipedia. (laughs) He's generally characterized as pessimistic, gloomy, and depressed, okay? By nature, that's me. I, you know, I... What if you and I could stop worrying about how full our glass is 
and trust Jesus to fill it when we need it filled. What, what, what difference would that make? He promised to give his followers life to the full, and I found that he does. What if we could pursue our dreams and even let him shape our dreams and change our dreams if need be? And all the while we're pursuing them, trusting him to fill us, not the dream. Because that dream could go poof and turn into a mirage. What if we aim to grow our marriages or parent our kids and not expect them to fill our glass, but we trust Jesus to fill it as we do right by them? What what if we set our heart to contribute to ministry and serve others and look to Jesus to give us what we need while we're doing that? What if we pursue our careers And we work hard doing the work that's right in front of us, trusting Jesus to give us what we need to do exactly what he wants us to do. What a difference. Would that make a difference? Yes. It would make a difference in us. It would make a difference in our families. It would make a difference in our workplaces. It would be a breath of fresh air. Followers of Christ aim to discover what's important to him and live for that in each arena that they're dealing with. We, we take the next step of obedience and then the next step and then the next one. And as we do that, it takes the pressure off of everybody else to meet our needs and we bless them in the way we relate to them because we're trusting him to fill us up. Tremendous amount of help in that. Jesus wants to help us. He wants to fill us up. As the band comes up, I'd like to ask you to think through your next steps, if you would. Uh, Please pull out your connection card. On the back of that, there's some next steps, some that Alex mentioned and some that I'm going to mention right now. If you haven't had an opportunity to finish completing the information on that card or these next steps, then uh, finish completing it and drop it in the offering when the ushers come around, uh, and that'd be great. Here are my suggestions. First one, I want to live for what's important by. Circle one of those. The last four points I made are represented in the numbers. Maybe God spoke to you about one of those. Which one do you want to focus on and work on this week? For the first time, this is another step, for the first time I accept Jesus as my Savior and I'll follow him as Lord. Maybe you've been investigating what it means to follow him. You're ready to take that that step. You're ready to to do that. If you are, we'd love to know. We'd love to send you some stuff to help with that. We'd love to help any way you'd like us to. So let us know that you're ready to take that step for the very first time. And then there are some other ways that you can help, passing out door hangers, conducting surveys. If, If you'd like to let us know being a part of a life group. The, the way it works is you set out to follow Christ. You need help from other followers. You need encouragement. You need to connect. And that's what helps you grow. So if you'd like to begin connecting with other followers, if you'd like to know more uh, about what it means to follow, then let us know on that, that card that you're interested in, a life group, and which night, which number, and which night. That'd be great. Um, would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the help you've given us, and Lord Jesus, thank you for the way that you've 
shown us what it means to follow you. And I pray that as you've laid things on our hearts today, that you'd help us to have the power to take the next step and bring honor to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.